Good morning, everyone. Before we get into the message, I want to pray. Um, but even before we do that, I, I was thinking about how when my daughter Esther was in Ethiopia, she got off the plane arriving there, and they said, come on, we want you to speak to us. And um, Esther began to pray fervently that God would give her something to say, and, and she said over the course of her stay in Ethiopia, um, she was asked many times to speak, and she would fall to her knees and, and desperately seek the Lord, which of course any of us would do. Um, but she came to the conclusion that it really didn't matter much what she said if she read the scriptures, because the people there were so hungry and so poised that she said, I really, I really felt like I couldn't make a mistake um, if I just stayed in the word of God. And um, it made me think of that passage that, or passages where Jesus says, take heed how you hear, that the burden this morning as I preach is really upon you and how you hear more than upon me and how I preach, and that comforts me. Um, but, you know, I'm a hearer too, and so can I pray for all of us that we will hear uh, accurately what the Holy Spirit wants to say. Father, we just confess our neediness before you this morning that um, we always need the empowering of your Holy Spirit to see things more clearly, to see your Son in particular and all that he's done for us in particular. We ask, Father, for the anointing of your Holy Spirit on this message, but even more than that, Father, we ask for the ability to hear in our hearts we do want to take heed how we hear, Lord, and um, we just pray that you would go way beyond my thoughts and what you've communicated to me, and um, that you would go deep, Lord, and you would, do, you would do surgery in our hearts, Father, and like Dave prayed earlier, that we would go forth from this place different than we came in. We're hungry for you, Lord. We are hungry for you and for more of you. So we ask for your impromptu, your anointing, your blessing right now, in Jesus' name, amen. In 1744, Charles Wesley penned these beautiful words, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free, from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And a second verse, just as powerful, if not more powerful than, than the first. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. 
By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. What words. What powerful words, what glorious words, compressed into just two short verses. As we move into the Christmas season, these words and other sights and sounds and smells make me want to drink ever so deeply of Jesus Christ and see the mysteries and the majesties and the grace of God that resides in the manger. In my mind, I have been picturing all week the nativity scene. Um, The manger, I'll call it the manger. Actually, the manger is the feeding trough that Jesus was laid in, but I'm using the term manger as the entire nativity scene this morning. God's grace is in that manger. God's grace is in that manger, his undeserved love and favor. Interestingly, there are no scriptures exhorting us to commemorate Christ's birth. You know, we're told to proclaim the death of the Lord. But there's really no scriptures saying celebrate his birth. Isn't that surprising? The great preacher Spurgeon wrote that Christmas, as it is celebrated, is a superstition. It's a creation of the third century church meant to counter pagan celebrations of winter festivals. That December 25th is an arbitrary date simply chosen. So Christ's birth would be marked at all by Christendom. He writes, we venture to assert that if there be any day in the year of which we may be pretty sure it was not the day on which the Savior was born, it's the 25th of December. Regarding not the day, however, let us nonetheless give thanks to God for the gift of his dear Son. It's that last line that seems to redeem it all. Yes, Christ's birth in history was absolutely a profound event, amen? Beyond any of our human capacities to grasp. Therefore, I want to ask us to be of sober spirit this morning, of earnest spirit, to see more deeply in that manger than perhaps we've ever seen before. As I go on, please be praying that God will will allow us all to apprehend more fully Jesus Christ the wonderful gift of God's Son and God's grace in the manger. Certainly as we peer into that blessed manger, we, our eyes are transfixed on the Holy Child. But if we were to be able to raise our gaze, I believe we would see something terrifying and that is the shadow of a cross. Here, like no other, stands the symbol and reality of God's indescribable grace. J. Sidlow Baxter, who was an Australian-born pastor who ministered in England and Scotland in the early 1900s, he said this, Bethlehem and Golgotha, the manger and the cross, the birth and the death, They must always be seen together. 
Certainly it's true that this particular baby came to die. Of course, we all are headed to die, but this blessed baby was born to die. Years later, after he had been beaten and scourged and spit upon and the crown of thorns was jammed on his brow, he was crucified. And as he hung on the cross, he began to recite Psalm 22, a prophetic psalm written centuries earlier about that moment of his passion. You might want to turn there with me, but I'm going to read the entire psalm and let these words just soak in as the shadow of the cross is in the manger. Jesus prayed, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. O my God, I cry by day, but thou dost not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Yet thou art holy, thou who art enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In thee our fathers trusted. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. To thee they cried out and were delivered. In thee they trusted and were not disappointed. Here begins the most more clear description of Jesus on the cross. But I am a worm and not a man, verse 6. A reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver you. Let him rescue you because you delighted in him. Yet thou art he who dost bring me forth from the womb. Thou didst make me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon thee I was cast from birth. Thou hast been my God from my mother's womb. Jesus If he'd had the breath, he would have continued to recite in verse 11, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. Listen to these words, I am poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint, my heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And thou dost lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look. They stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But thou, O Lord, be not far off. O thou, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. Thou dost answer me. I will tell of thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise thee. You who fear the Lord, praise him. 
All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. From thee comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before him. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. That sounds like Philippians 2, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive, posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has performed it. Oh, the wonderful cross. Oh, the wonderful cross. Thomas Traherne was an English poet and theologian of the 1600s. Listen to what he wrote about the cross. He said, the cross is the abyss of wonders, the center of desires, the school of virtues, the house of wisdom, the throne of love, the theater of joys and the place of sorrows. It is the root of happiness and the gate of heaven. Yes, God's grace is in the manger in the Christ child and behind him in the shadow of a cross. That's one mystery of God's grace in the manger. But in the deepest recesses, if we're, if we're especially perceptive, I think we can see a second aspect of God's grace, and that is the price God paid. We understand the best we can that God through Christ took the penalty for our sins upon himself in the most blessed act of love conceivable. You see, if you came to my house and you broke something, let's say you broke a lamp at my house and I forgave you, you would be free from the penalty of breaking that lamp, the price of breaking that lamp. You would not have to pay. What that would mean is you would not have to pay me to replace that lamp. The problem is, is someone still needs to pay for that lamp to be replaced. And in this case, it would be me. See? God has done the same through Jesus Christ. Through Christ, he took on himself the debt and the penalty and the cost we owed him because of our sin in order to provide forgiveness to us. We read of this cost in Isaiah 53. This is the passage or the chapter where the cost to the heart of God to send his son 
is most clearly seen. Again, you may want to turn there. We're going to read the chapter. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It's interesting to me that that word crushed, at least in the English version that I have, is used twice. It's used here and down in verse 10. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. And then this powerful passage, but the Lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he would see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Perhaps as we took communion this morning, we would have been helped by some words by a preacher from the 1800s named Octavius Winslow. He said this, Christ took our cup of grief, our cup of the curse, our cup of sin, and pressed it to his lips and drank it down to its dregs. And then he filled it up with his sweet, pardoning, sympathizing love and gave it back to us to drink and to drink forever. In the shadows of the manger, surely we also see the price God paid. 
We'll speak only this morning of one other great treasure of grace in that manger, and that's the miracle of salvation that is resting there. This tiny baby is the Savior of the world. Salvation is wrapped up in him, but salvation is such a big word. You might be asking me, or you could easily ask, what are you talking about, Jim, exactly, when you use the word salvation? Are you talking about being freed from the slavery of sin and becoming a slave of righteousness? Are you talking about being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? Are you talking about being forgiven for your sins and having peace with God? Maybe you're talking about being changed from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're referring to being united with Christ and having a personal relationship with him. I guess my answer would be yes, 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 and yes. And yes, 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 yes. Many yeses. But the yes I want to focus on most is being exceedingly thankful for the miracle of forgiveness. How many of you are just exceedingly thankful for the miracle of forgiveness? Hallelujah. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Someone once said, if if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent a teacher. If our greatest need was technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need was money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure he would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. You remember when Jesus was approaching John the Baptist in the Gospel of John, recorded there in chapter 1, verse 8, John cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Isn't that a beautiful proclamation? Listen to these great scriptures that declare the same. One is from Isaiah. Let the wicked man return to the Lord, and God will have compassion on him, and he will abundantly pardon. Jeremiah 31, 34. For they shall all know me, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Psalm 86, 5. For thou, O Lord, art good, and ready to forgive. Psalm 103, 12, but as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I like that one. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. In Luke 5, 24, when they lowered the man down through the roof, he said, but in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise, take up your stretcher, and go home. Acts 10.43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And who can forget John 3.16? It doesn't really mention forgiveness, but it just felt right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, our God is a forgiving God. And the miracle of forgiveness is resting in that manger. So behind the child, God's grace is in the shadow of a cross. Behind the child, God's grace is in the price the Father paid and Jesus. Behind the child, God's grace in the manger is the miracle of forgiveness. Maybe it's wrong to say behind the child because all those things are in the child. All those things are in Jesus Christ. Allow me one more quote, this one from Oswald Chambers, who I think captured what I'm trying to say better than anyone. He said, God does forgive, but it cost the rending of his great heart in the death of Christ to enable him to do so. The great miracle of the grace of God is that he forgives sin And it is the death of Jesus Christ alone that enables the divine nature to forgive and remain true to itself in doing so. Now pay attention to the next couple of sentences. The Apostle Paul never got away from this. When once you realize all that it costs God to forgive you, you will be held as in a vice, constrained by the love of God. Let me read that last line again. When once you realize all that it costs God to forgive you, you will be held as in a vice, constrained by the love of God. How many of you can say, I'm in that vice. I feel that vice. I sense that. Let me end with a story from Chuck Colson's life. He found himself sitting in St. Pat's Cathedral in New York City to witness the baptism of Bernard Nathanson, one of the, abs- one of the abortion industry's greatest leaders, a man who personally presided over some 75,000 abortions, including the abortion of his own child. Leading him to the altar was a woman named Joan Andrews, a leading pro-lifer who had spent five years in prison for her pro-life activities. Above them and the presiding priest, Cardinal O'Connor, was a cross. Colson wrote as he looked at the cross, I looked at that cross and realized again that what the gospel teaches is true. In Christ is the victory. Because there at the altar was a man who spent three decades in the abortion excuse me, in the satanic world of abortion, joyfully accepting forgiveness in Christ. And there were 80 people with him celebrating a victory of the gospel over evil. That simple baptism held without fanfare is a reminder that a holy baby born in a stable 20 centuries ago 
defies the wisdom of man, he cannot be defeated. There's God's grace in the manger. And my prayer for us this year is that we would apprehend Jesus Christ and his grace more than ever before. Can we focus, can we agree to focus upon him? Uh, Not just today, but this month. And try as best we can to drink in through the grace of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, our wonderful Savior, and all the riches in Christ that he intends to bring to us. Are you in the vice of God's grace? Are you constrained by the love of God? I want to pray for you and pray for myself as well this morning that um, we would be able to do just that, that we would be able to drink deeply of Jesus Christ this year. Would you stand with me? And we'll pray together to that end. Father, we pray, we pray, we pray that we could shed superficiality this this season, this year. And Lord, we could center in on Jesus Christ. And Lord, that you would open the minds of our hearts to apprehend more fully your gift of love in your Son. Help us to learn new things about the magnitude and the profundity and the power of the cross. Help us to see, Lord, the majesty and the depth of the price that you paid to send your son to the earth for him to suffer and die for us. We continue to say to you, Lord, we are a needy people. We can be so dull of understanding, so lazy, so distracted. We pray that you'll help us this season to drink deeply of Jesus Christ. May we meditate on the cross, on the wonder of your forgiveness, on the birth of your Son into this world, and the joy of your victory. Help us to give you all the praise and all the glory, Lord. Help us to be on the outside who we are on the inside. Help us to be real and transparent before you. Help us to spend time with you. Help us to give you the throne in our hearts where we are sitting there. We honor you, we love you, we pray that everything we do in the coming Sundays would glorify you, would praise your name, would lift you up, would honor you, would give you, again, all glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name.
Thank you, Jim. One of the things Jim prayed in our elders meeting this past week was that uh, we would really be able to.